You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, everybody. I know that's an awkward phrase, but folks, when you're in the Houston Rockets community these days, it feels like every day of the week is a good one. So on that positive note, welcome into another episode of Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily and post-game commentary on your Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. Today's show is brought to you courtesy of our friends and partners over at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag and use the Locked On NBA promo code, and from there, MyBookie will match your initial deposit with a 50% bonus. So as we chat on this Monday evening, it's an off day for the Rockets, the only off day on this very packed and jammed four-day road trip for the Rockets with three games in those four days, Saturday night in New Orleans, Sunday night in Minnesota, fortunately both wins. Rockets now improving to 56-14 and on the year after those pair of back-to-back wins over the weekend. And now they're in Portland getting ready for tomorrow night's game against a red-hot Blazers team number three seed in the West and winners of 13 consecutive games. So it's going to be a spotlight game on national television, unfortunately, and other players only broadcast, but it is what it is. Anyway, to break it all down, I'm going to be joined momentarily by Craig Ackerman. You know him as the team's lead broadcaster, both for radio and television on AT&T Sportsnet Southwest. I always enjoy getting Craig on the show as frequently as I can, but I especially value his input on the road trips because there are so few people that get to travel with the Rockets these days, the journalism economics being what they are. Even I don't get to do that. So the guys that are actually traveling, and of course with Craig, not just at the games on the road, but he's actually traveling on the plane with them. So when they are away from Houston, he is as good as it gets for Intel on exactly what is going on with this basketball team. So I'm going to pick his brain in a few moments about everything going on with the Rockets these days, the two wins this weekend, the upcoming matchup against the Blazers tomorrow night, get the lay of the land from Craig, who is on the scene in Portland. The good news for me is that after Tuesday's game, the Rockets come home for a five-game homestand, then they have one game on the road at San Antonio on a Sunday afternoon, and after that, it's three more home games. So eight of the next nine are at home. The one road win is two and a half hours away, and San Antonio. So if you hate late games, which the one tomorrow in Portland will be, that's the last one. And if you like more Rockets content from those of us that go to all the home games, such as myself, well, get ready because you're about to see a lot of the Rockets over the next couple of weeks in Houston. It feels like the Rockets have had so many road games of late. We've discussed the hellacious schedule over and over again here at Lockdown Rockets. Well, with a tough game tomorrow night in Portland against a Blazers team that is red hot and whether you buy the angle or not, supposedly looking for revenge after the ridiculous incident between Chris Paul and Damian Lillard. Not ridiculous because of what Chris Paul did, scoring on a layup with 15 seconds left in the game. It's ridiculous that Damian Lillard or anyone is even upset about a professional basketball player continuing to play basketball at the highest level, what fans are paying hundreds of dollars to see them do. But whether it's real, fabricated, whatever, it is a big matchup. And even if you downplay the it's personal angle, it's still two really good teams. And other than the Rockets and the Warriors, I've explained plenty of times on this show, Locked on Rockets, the past few weeks, why I think the Blazers, after the Rockets and the Warriors, are the scariest team in the Western Conference, even ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. So in just a few moments, I'm going to talk more about that matchup and everything else going on with the team these days, another MVP weekend for James Harden. 
with Craig Ackerman, the team's lead broadcaster for both radio and TV broadcasts. But before we get to Craig, though, I do want to quickly tell you about our friends and sponsors over at MyBookie. Because, folks, if you want to make some money off that Rockets-Blazers game, or any of the huge March Madness games, for that matter, later this week, you can make a boatload over at MyBookie. If you haven't checked them out yet, this is the perfect time to get in on the action because the madness of March, it is now in full swing. Join me and thousands of other online players over at mybookie.ag, and you can start scoring big on college hoops and, of course, the NBA. They've got all the games, all the lines, and they've even got in-game live betting, which means you can even place a bet after tip-off. And if you're already a better and you're sick and tired of getting the runaround from various sites when you ask for a payout, then that's all the more reason to try out MyBookie. Because when you win, they pay out fast and without any hassles. I would only recommend a service that has been great to me and our listeners, and that's why I urge you and everyone in this Lockdown Rockets community to check out mybookie.ag and support our sponsor of today's show. You are wasting your time if you're betting anywhere else. The best perk of it, of course? Join now, use the Lockdown NBA promo code, and mybookie will match your initial deposit with a 50% bonus. That's all simply by visiting mybookie.ag, where you play, you win, and you get paid. Now, without any further delay, let's go ahead and get to Craig Ackerman, live from Portland. Craig, how's the Pacific Northwest, my friend? Uh, it's, it's awesome. Weather uh, could not be any better than it is, and uh, I'm looking forward to a, another great game uh, tomorrow night between two of the hottest teams in the league. Yeah, I want to start with that. We'll get to the back-to-back wins over the weekend, because those are certainly pretty impressive at New Orleans, at Minnesota, two playoff-bound teams but the Blazers, number three seed in the West, winners of 13 in a row. I want to bounce a takeoff of you, and you just tell me if it's reasonable or not. All year long, I've been of the opinion that the most important thing for the Rockets would be to get the Thunder on the opposite side of the bracket from them, and that, you know, whether the Rockets are the one or two versus Golden State, that I would prefer to avoid the Thunder in round two and let the Warriors handle that headache. In the last month, I've changed my opinion. I now, to me, Portland is the team, even above Oklahoma City, the non-Warrior squad that you, in my opinion, would least like to play. Because between Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum scoring and a very underrated defense that's almost top five now, so many long athletes, the Aminus, the Harkless, Evan Turner, Ed Davis, between the scoring punch in the backcourt, their clutch play their home court advantage, and then a defense as opposed to Oklahoma City, who's more, you know, of course they had the star power of Russell and Paul George, but the defense is mediocre at best, uh, at least in terms of the non-Steven Adams players there. I don't know. I've talked myself into Portland being even a bigger threat than Oklahoma City. Am I reacting too much to the 13-game winning streak, or are you buying in on them as well? I, know, I actually think the Rockets match up better with the Blazers than they do um, the Thunder, but uh, I can't is it okay to be greedy and hope that the Blazers finish three and the Thunder drop to six or seven? Oh, there you go. Possibility with with their schedule, yeah. Um, the rest of the way, and then just get greedy that maybe perhaps Portland will just play Oklahoma City in the first round, and one of those teams knock each other out, or even better yet, Oklahoma City finishes seventh and it's to take on Golden State in the opening round, and then they have to wait the winner of the the three versus six matchup, which will feature Portland and somebody. I mean, I think it's okay to. To get greedy there, but um, you know, look, I, I've said this a lot, and I know a lot of people just sort of casually dismiss last season's series with the Thunder as a gentleman sweep because they won it in five. But I, I really think that 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 series was far more. I think we've talked about it before. Was far more difficult than the actual length of the series um, 
would indicate. I mean, they really made the Rockets earn all of those wins. Now, granted, they don't have Andre Roberts. Right. Um, but apparently they have the, the second coming of Michael Jordan with Corey Brewer. We'll talk, <laughs> I guess we can touch upon that a little bit later on. Uh, but they don't have a Robertson, so they're missing their best defender, and obviously they've slipped um, without him. But I, I am a big believer in um, elite players are you know are ultimately what carries you to a championship, and they've got Paul George, and they've got Russell Westbrook, and Stephen Adams is a very uh, physical, difficult matchup for the Rockets. Now their bench um, is not a strength at all, but uh, I am I would be. I would be concerned about a matchup with the Thunder, regardless of how things went last year. And look, without, with all due respect, the Blazers are incredible. Um, they've been playing. I mean, they have, they, they've been beating great teams during this winning streak. So they, they have been getting the job done. I, I just think that in terms of the matchups, uh, we'll start at the center spot. I think Steven Adams is a little bit more, he's, he's, he's far more athletic than Nurkic is. Uh, and I think Adams is more disruptive on that high pick and roll and both okay. Clint Capella than Nurkic is. So I think the Rockets have an advantage uh, against the Blazers there. And then if you look at the backcourt matchups, the two best players on the teams will match up with one another, Harden and McCollum and, and Paul and Damian Lillard. And um, I just don't think those two guys for the Blazers defensively can can do much to, to hold and or slow down um, you know, James and Chris. So I think that's an advantage uh, to the Rockets, yes, they do have a lot of very long, lengthy athletes that can switch things like the Rockets do. Uh, but I think I would give the Rockets the edge there a little bit uh, as well with their particular depth. So I guess at least as of right now, initially, my comfort level in terms of potential playoff matchups, uh, I would prefer one over Portland uh, than Oklahoma City. But again, you've got two really good teams, and regardless who the Rockets play in the playoffs, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I think part of the calculus for Oklahoma City depends on exactly how sustainable the Corey Brewer run is, because I think the Andre Robertson injury was significant, but if Corey keeps playing yeah. like he is now, then... Uh, oh, it, you, know what, you know what he's doing? He's playing like he did when he first came to Houston from Minnesota. Like he's got the GOAT, right? Yeah, yeah, like he's got like the GOAT, like Billy's still alive. Yeah. When he came over from the T-Wolves, that, that first half of the season, and on to the playoffs, he was really good. Look, I, and Corey Brewer, along with you know, uh, 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 helped the Rockets win a playoff series against the Clippers. I mean, um, and, and he was tremendous that year. And then after that, obviously, some of his production and reliability uh, dropped off. But I give Corey a lot of credit. He stepped in. When the Rockets went Oklahoma City, and it was just his first or second game or whatever it was since they picked him up and after he was released by the Lakers, I speculated right then and there. I was wondering how long it was going to take for Oklahoma City to put him in the starting lineup. Well, they did it the very next game, and they've taken off as a result. So credit to Corey and, and the Thunder for, for realizing that and, uh, and improving their stock. When you were breaking down the Blazers and, of course, the matchup with the Rockets in relative to the Thunder comparison, there's kind of an old adage that came back to me, which is that your upsets tend to occur when there's a contrast in styles. And... While I think Portland might be playing the best ball of any non-Rockets Warriors team, well, even better than the Warriors right now, but a lot of that's considering Golden State's injuries, I guess the issue with the Blazers and why they might not be a great matchup for the Rockets, of course, we'll see on the court tomorrow night in Portland, but the styles are so similar that ultimately the talent advantage wins out. Because, as you mentioned, Lillard and McCollum, okay, they're very good, but James Harden, Chris Paul, probably just a little bit better. 
And of course, in the middle, you have Nurkic. Well, you have Clint Capella, probably just a little bit better. Whereas Oklahoma City, it's not so much that necessarily the talent is better than Houston, but that because there's a contrast in styles, if maybe that particular style wins out, it's more threatening if you're a team like Houston that has the talent advantage regardless, because if Houston's playing Portland, they're pretty much going to be playing the same style. It's just Houston's probably a little bit better. Is that a fair characterization of your uh, your argument? I just think that Oklahoma City is built a little bit better. And again, everything you mentioned about Portland being one of the elite defensive teams in the league, it, it's all true. I am, a, I am a big fan of Steven Adams. Okay. Um, you know, I think he's a really good NBA player. Um, I think he is, uh, I, again, I, and they've seen enough of the Rockets, um, where I think, you know, they, they have a pretty good understanding of, of sort of, um, how to slow them down and defend them. And again, that, that the big sagging, the big athletic player playing center field in the paint, stopping the pick and rolls the rim runs and so on and so forth. I just think that Adams is probably better suited for that uh, than Nurkic is. He's more of a – now, he's a huge guy, but he's more of a plotter mm-hmm. uh, than Adams is. I mean, I, again, I think Adams is just a, is a significantly better athlete. And so I think they have the advantage in terms of between, you know, Adams and Nurkic um, there. And, and but one thing that you – know, the contrasting in styles, now the Thunder don't mess as well. If you take away Corey Brewer's prowess and three <laughs> shooters since he's come over – yeah. You kind of dismiss that. They they, they don't have uh, one. They you know they don't have the ability to hang with the Rockets in terms of three point shooting, and obviously Portland does. Um, so I, I can see it that way. I just like I said, my, my gut tells me um, that um, I would prefer a matchup with Portland versus one with Oklahoma City. But maybe that's just also me saying that um, I, you know I prefer to have, have games up here in Portland than Oklahoma City in a playoff series. So. Yeah, I would imagine that Portland is a uh, more fun city to visit, but on a basketball level... I like level, chaos, man. I'm ready for chaos tomorrow night. You know that game's going to be bananas. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, a lot of it from a basketball standpoint, it just sounds like your immense respect for Stephen Adams, which I completely understand. Stephen, one of the more... Uh, he's a heck of a player, yeah. man. I don't think he gets enough credit. Underrated players in the NBA. Um, part of the storyline for tomorrow, of course, is going to be a fun environment regardless. National TV, Blazers 13 in a row. It's the silly backdrop. Hey, we got that. No, no, we, we have the we have the game on AT and T Sportsnet. Oh, y'all do? Okay, because I heard it was a players only, but it's not an exclusive. It, it is a player. It is a players only. Actually, uh, Matt Thomas and I bumped into uh, Dennis Scott here in the streets of Portland uh, earlier today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they have it, but we have it. Okay, so it's not We're an exclusive. It. Yeah, it's not. A, it's it's no, it's not a national exclusive. You know, the Rockets. Basically, half our season has been on national TV, and so right. once you reach a certain limit, and again, I don't know what that number is, and the Rockets have reached that and beyond, then you're able to, you know, you're, you're able to get around those um, exclusivities. And yeah, we're uh, we're televising the game uh, tomorrow night, and I, I'm not sure if it's going to be one of those TNT games like it was when we were in Boston earlier this year, with the with the Turner telecast gets gets blacked out in Houston. I, mean, I have no idea how how all that mm-hmm. works either, but uh, we're working it. Yeah, it'll it, it'll it'll be on uh, AT and T tomorrow night. Okay, that's great. That's a huge exhale for me because that uh, players only broadcast in Oklahoma City with no other alternative other than trying to sync the radio. That was not pretty. So this this will go a lot better. Craig, oh, thank you. Yeah, the, the storyline I want to ask you about because I feel compelled to. It's this pettiness, the silliness, whatever you want to call it, between Damian Lillard and Chris Paul and the layup that Chris had in the last twenty seconds of the game in January. Lillard saying 
forgot exactly how he phrased it, but basically he thought Chris should have just dribbled the clock out. My take on this, and I'm just curious where, you know, you've had a front row seat to that, but Lillard's a guy who, to me, feeds off of feeling slighted. You've heard the narratives in prior years, first his draft positioning, then the two years that he was subbed from the All-Star team. Of course, All-Star subs are always so subjective because there are so few spots, but Lillard... To me, and you know, who am I to blame him? Because he's turned into a great, great player on a team that's won 13 in a row and there's the number three seed in the West. But it, I don't know, I kind of have a hard time feeling that Damian Lillard is actually that worked up about a layup in a seven point game, especially when there's plenty of examples of the Blazers doing similar things themselves. And it's not like a seven point lead is exactly a 25 point game either. So it almost feels to me like another example of Damian Lillard trying to find more fuel because throughout his career he just feeds off of feeling slighted. That's just sort of my read on it because it's hard for me to picture him actually being that upset over what happened in January. What's your thought on that? Uh, I mean, if that's what if that if that's what he needs to to, you know, get his juices flowing and get ready to go then so be it, but um I I think it's insignificant. I mean, you know, I mean, he knows he's playing against a future Hall of Famer and I think that would probably be all the motivation. Uh, that he would need it again. If, if the chip on his shoulder is what allows him to be himself and to have become the player that he's become, then more power to him. But I, yeah, I'll be honest with you. Until you literally just mentioned that, I completely have forgotten about that. So um, I think it was, you know, I, it was just sort of, uh, I think, in the moment type of thing. I, 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 it's going to have no bearing on, on the game tomorrow night, whether Lillard plays bad or good and vice versa. I just, you know, I just think it's, that's in the past um, and the motivation is that you know Portland's won 13 in a row. They're taking on the Rockets with the best record in the league. Um, both teams want to put on a great show uh, and, and, and prove, continue to prove that they belong where they're currently at and uh, I think that's motivated, motivation enough for both teams. Yeah, I would agree with that. The only reason I thought of it is because Lillard did an interview with Chris Haynes of ESPN over the weekend in which he brought it up and about it being fuel. But I feel the same way about that that I do about, you know, the Capella and Eric Gordon comments after the last Warriors game. You had so many people saying things like, why would you give Golden State extra fuel? And my feeling of that is, look, when the ball is tipped, they're going to be given 100% in the playoffs no matter what. And Portland tomorrow night. No matter what. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what. Right. The idea... If if Lillard, if any of these guys need anything to get themselves jacked up and juiced up to play these kinds of games, then they probably should be doing uh, something else, especially when it comes to the the playoffs. Again, I I find it to be... I mean, again, if this this is still on his mind and he wants to use this motivation, so be it. But I don't think it's going to um, affect things one way or another. I mean, Lillard's a terrific player. He has played incredibly well in his career with the Rockets, whether Chris Paul has been there or not. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, and again, I, whether, whether the, the Rockets win or lose tomorrow night and vice versa for the Blazers as it was for the Rockets game in Toronto, um, it's just one game. Uh, it's not the end of the world if you win or you lose, again, for either team. Um, you know, they've both been playing some of the best basketball in the league. Um, it's about getting prepared for the playoffs because I think Portland's basically locked themselves, even though their schedule gets a little more difficult, locked themselves into the number three out west, and it's about just getting yourself uh, prepared for the postseason. On the same side, I think the Rockets, in essence, barring some sort of catastrophic finish to the regular, unforeseen catastrophic finish to the end of the regular season, um, they've in essence sort of locked themselves into number one in the west as well. So again, it's just about getting ready, prepared, Every, getting everyone healthy uh, on the same page and uh, getting ready to go for the for the run and what will hopefully be 
be uh, hopefully be a very deep run. I would agree. It's more of an off-court storyline, the Lillard versus Paul, that anything is going to happen between the lines. Yeah, once... people need yeah, people need to talk and write things and so on and so forth. Right. And players, you know, it's funny. I mean, you know this. I mean, you have you have something top of you know top of mind or something you think that that's significant. Uh, oftentimes, players don't just bring these kind of things up. It sure. happens, but they don't generally speak. You just mm. bring them up to media members. They reference them once it's referenced to yes. back at them, and then they respond. So uh, again, I mean, it's like. It's like the whole locker room incident um, with the Clippers, right? When the, when the two teams met again in L.A., I mean, both teams are like, eh, you know, it's, it has no bearing on what's happening here tonight. It was just everybody else making a big deal of it, including me, because it was fun and it was an interesting storyline, but it, it, that, that had no bearing on it. There was no carryover from that in, in, into the next game. I realized Blake Griffin wasn't there, but there was, there was no carryover from that, so... Um, you know, again, it's the same scenario here. I think a lot of that's just blown out of proportion. Good take. Folks, we're going to pause right here for just a couple of moments to acknowledge our wonderful sponsors for today's show, and then we'll be right back with Craig Ackerman, lead TV and radio broadcaster for the Rockets on AT&T Sportsnet Southwest and then across the Rockets radio network for the games when he is on the radio calls. So jumping back into the show with Craig... So we spent the first few moments talking about the Portland game, the storylines leading up to that. I want to spend the remainder of our chat looking back the two games this weekend. And there's multiple ways you could look at it. Certainly the fourth quarters of both games in New Orleans and Minnesota were not especially pretty. For me, though, I tend to take a lot more positives than I do negatives from the standpoint of New Orleans, Minnesota. That's two playoff teams. You're on the road on a back-to-back. They're playing for their playoff lives, and the Rockets, after 30 minutes of each game, are up 20. So to win and to basically be in command for the vast majority of both games, I don't know, to me that dwarfs any issues of exactly how you played with a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter. Your take? I, I just I think that if you, if you look across the league, there's so much volatility now um, with... And, it, it, you know, obviously, you know, in, in our world, you know, we're focusing primarily on the Rockets. But I think if you more or less look across the board, there are a lot of big leads that are that are lost um, and gained. I mean, would you prefer the Rockets to have taken a 25-point lead in the first half in Minnesota and pushed it to 40? Um, yes, I, I think more or less, I, I, I think that more or less the game at the Timberwolves they just got a little bored and complacent mm-hmm. um, after just picking them apart, and I think that they lost their focus. And in, in, in of that, they that's why they they lost the lead or nearly lost the lead. And then you know again they Minnesota cut it to five, and then they, uh, you know the Rockets made it up plays down the stretch to sort of uh, keep them at bay. I think New Orleans did a pretty good job um, defensively uh, in the second half. But again, yeah, you've seen you see while if you if you play enough attention to the league, you see so many wild, crazy, you know, swings. I mean, just look at the Boston Celtics this season. How many times have they rallied from down double digits yep. um, to win games? I mean, you could frame it like, well, you know, they're they're living on the edge. I mean, that shouldn't be the case. Or you can turn it around and frame it like, you know, look at this team. You know, they never give up. They're always fighting. You know, they you know they, they always are, you know, are, are persevering, persevering. You're going to have to really put them away if you're going to beat them. So, Yes, I think it would have been preferable for the Rockets not to cough up or nearly cough up, you know, those twenty-point leads in consecutive games. But I agree with you. You had two teams that were basically in similar positions, where a loss or two extra 
here or there, then they're at home when the playoffs begin. And so you got two teams desperate, more desperate for wins uh, than the Rockets are uh, at this point, even though Houston is, you know, the motivation for the Rockets is to continue to play for the best overall record in the league to have home court advantage um, throughout the playoffs. But, um, you know, the Rockets played incredibly well in the first half at Minnesota. And I, the Wolves, the, they just they have to have nightmares about playing the Rockets. It's just an awful matchup um, for them. Uh, Anthony Davis got it going early in New Orleans and found a little groove. Got it going late. Uh, for whatever reason, their role players have had really good goal of things against the Rockets, especially um, shooting threes. But any win you can get on the road in those kinds of environments against teams fighting for their ability to stay in the playoff race, I agree with you. Um, that's that's probably the more the one thing you should probably take away from that, as opposed to the Rockets, you know, letting those big leads slip. Because again, I think if you look at the league uh, league wide, um, you see you've started you've seen that a lot, not only this year but the last couple of years with the way that you know the entire league has has gone to play. Because I think when you shoot when the league starts shooting a ton of threes, teams will inevitably, including the Rockets, go through slumps. And when you go through slumps. You know, in games from half to half, from quarter to quarter, from possession to possession, um, that opens up the door for other teams to conversely get hot. And so you see, you know, you can see things just change quickly in a hurry, both directions. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that the Rockets remain the top clutch team in the NBA by all the metrics in terms of their positive differential, despite having, I believe, the fewest clutch minutes. It's been a while. I guess the Toronto game was the last time that we've had a really close game going down to the wire, and even in that one, of course, they played well. It was that they were facing such huge headwinds from the early deficit going into that. Same thing in New Orleans when they were there the, when they were there the first time. I mean, they made a game of it and almost won it as well. It went the other direction, too. So, I mean, in there, it's like, man, look at the Rockets. You know, they never give up, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I just, I just think that, again, there's just so much volatility in the sport yeah. um, that, um, again, it would be preferable not to give up those leads, but I just think it's sort of part of the game, the way it's being played now. Yeah, and in Minnesota, I didn't really think there was that much wrong at all. I think what happened in the Minnesota game, the Timberwolves got hot, and kudos to them. I mean, even though they're a bad matchup, especially defensively with the Rockets, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Jeff Teague, there's a lot of talented players there. They got hot, give them credit. And the other part of it, the Rockets offensively, it wasn't as if they did things that were dumb. You know, it kind of, there was a weird buzz in the arena after the whole Gerald Green incident. So that kind of, you know, you lost some points there on the technicals. Then you had the issue with Harden's hand, in which there were a couple of turnovers directly related to that afterward. But it wasn't like the Rockets stopped being themselves. And really, about three or four minutes to go, when Mike and Tony called that timeout after it got down to five, they came out and they just calmly, you know, they scored on six of their final seven possessions of the game. They... You know, Harden made plays off the dribble. He made the big three. Ariza had the big three. Capella had a tip in and a big rebound. So in Minnesota, I didn't think they got rattled at all. I thought, quite frankly, the offense towards the end of the game was very good, just like it's been for most of the season in terms of clutch performance when it's within five points. So Minnesota game, I don't really feel that bad about it at all. I think the stuff that kind of got Minnesota back in the game was just circumstantial. New Orleans was a the little... Worrisome, the worrisome part about the Minnesota thing, I, to me, was not was not... What happened after the green uh, jank thing was what in the third quarter the Rockets made quite a few mistakes defensively. Sure, yeah. Um, Bielitsa, um got more involved. I don't know why they don't involve that guy more, but I, I don't. I don't coach that team. But <laughs> um, he got hot. He hit all of his shots. Uh, again, the Rockets had to break down defensively, and that's where Minnesota started to gain uh, some momentum. Momentum there, and people got to remember a twelve or a thirteen point game in the NBA is nothing. 
And it's, it's nothing. It's only it's only a handful of possessions. Anything can happen. Um, and to me, that's where the the Rockets sort of left that. That to me, that was the more problematic stretch of the game in the third quarter than it was in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter, again, I thought was more or less just happenstance. But again, I agree with you. Once it really kind of came down to it, when the Rockets were only up five, they responded admirably. Yeah, and I was going to say, New Orleans, I certainly am not sounding the alarm bells. I thought that was a little different. I thought in the fourth quarter of that game, you could poke holes in their execution. thought there were too many possessions where they waited until you know three or four seconds left on the shot clock to initiate their offense. But A, you're playing with a big lead, and B, that whole game in New Orleans, the vibe was so weird. You know, you had Gentry going on his tirade about the officials after the game, but in reality, there were very few calls either direction. You know, I looked it up, the Rockets had 18 free throws, the Pelicans had 12, so neither team got to the line that much. Harden only had 8 free throws, he had 14 in Minnesota, only had 8 in New Orleans, and of those 8, 4 came on one sequence, the 3 on the foul from Holiday and then one in the middle of it because Gentry picked up the tee. Other than that, James just got four free throws the entire game. So to me, that New Orleans game, I don't know, you mentioned the role players who for whatever reason seem to play well against the Rockets, especially shooting the And the Rockets the bench gave them absolutely positively nothing. Yeah. Nothing. They got nothing. That too, the first game which of... Has been un- which is unusual. Yeah. They got absolutely nothing from yeah. the bench. Yeah, bench was poor. And just in general, it just felt like kind of a weird game in which there was no flow to it. It was choppy. There was a lot of contact both ways that let go. So to me, the New Orleans game felt like the quintessential, you know, one-off. Just a random game. You hope you get the win, which fortunately the Rockets did. And then you move on to the next night, which they did successfully by turning the page to Minnesota and getting that win as well, right? Uh, yeah, look, that was a soft call on the hard three, but mm-hmm. he nicked him on the arm, and it's a foul. I don't know. I don't know why there was such anger from New Orleans. It, granted, was it a weak call? Sure, it's a weak call, but he got him on the arm. Now, the technical on Alvin Gentry was, I thought, unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think he did anything. I eventually walked away. I don't think he did anything to. Um, be teed up uh, in that situation. The Rockets did shoot 12 fourth quarter free throws compared to um, just two for New Orleans. But again, I, I, you know, and the more aggressive team typically gets the calls, uh, and the Rockets are amongst the most aggressive teams, especially when it comes to James Harden trying to attack and and you know trying to get themselves to the free throw line. I just think you know it's um, it was a good win. Um, you know, again, I guess New Orleans team that's been hungry to um, get back in the playoffs. They've had a pretty relative, not Minnesota-like drought, but they've only made the playoffs one time in the last six or seven years. So um, they, they want to get in as well. And, and anytime you can win a road game in those situations, regardless, you know how you slice or how it comes yeah. about. Uh, those, those are all those are all good wins. So you you never you never apologize and you never apologize for winning at the professional level. Maybe yeah. you apologize for winning at the college level, but you never, <laughs> and regardless of sport, regardless of what happens, you never apologize yeah. for winning at the pro level, ever. What's your take on all the the sidebar stories from the officials, then of course the Gorgie Jang and Chris Paul, followed by Gerald Green's retaliatory shove last night? There's just been a lot of incidents, not really involving the Rockets directly, but it started with after the Thursday game, you had the tirade from Doc Rivers afterward, he was fine for that. Same thing happened with Alvin Gentry on Saturday. Then you had the Jing and Chris Paul. Those were all different cases or different circumstances. I guess the way I choose to look at it, it reminds me a lot of over the past few years, 
all the talk about the Warriors and the moving screens. Not that I'm saying it's wrong, because many of those screens are illegal, but it's one of those things in which when a team is so dominant that you feel like you can't beat them, then the next thing you do, it's just natural to try and poke holes any way you can. These are all separate incidents, but it almost feels like to me the Rockets are just frustrating these teams to where... You know, sometimes it's the coaches, sometimes it's the players, but it just feels like there's a lot of frustration for various reasons between these teams that are playing for the Rocket or against the Rockets. Have you ever seen anything like this before? I mean, people have always complained about officiating. If you have a problem with NBA officiating, just watch the NCAA. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think the NBA officials, if you have a problem there, just watch college basketball, and then you'll you'll appreciate the guys at the pro level. Are they perfect? No. Uh, are there officials who are better than others? Absolutely. You can say that about every um, walk of life. Could there be areas that they improve upon? Sure. But it's an impossibly difficult game um, to officiate. I, I, I thought the whole Jane Paul Green thing was adjudicated properly. Um, you know, again, and I said it on the telecast, but the, the second guy who comes in, uh, the last guy who comes in is typically ding the worst. Uh, I think if that play happened at midcourt and Green shoved Jang at midcourt and everybody was separated and that was that, probably would have been a double T and that's it. Um, but since he ended up shoving Jang into the first row of fans, the league does not take kindly into that. I think that's the reason why he was ultimately ejected correctly from the game. I thought they made the right decision. It took a while, but I thought they ultimately made the right call there uh, with all of that. You just, you know, like I said, you, you, uh, you can't you can't cross that line uh, at all, even though he didn't intend basically to, you know, his thoughts were, oh, I'm going to shove Jang into the fans. It's just, I'm just going to shove Jang because he took out my guy. Right. That mentality I do like, even though, um, you know, I, I know that, that Mike D'Antoni was not happy about it, but my guess is privately he's appreciative of one teammate taking up for another. But if that happened in the middle of the floor, I, I don't think he gets thrown out. But since it happened where it did on the sidelines and Jang ended up where he did uh, with the possibility of either, you know, especially a fan getting hurt or a player getting hurt by a fan, you know, I, I thought that was taken care of um, properly. I already mentioned, I didn't think Alvin Gentry deserved mm -hmm. um, a technical foul uh, late in that game. I thought it was a bit of a soft call. I know they were very upset in New Orleans about that one play with P.J. Tucker submarining Ian Clark, and that probably should have been a foul uh, instead of, you know, the review about who actually went out about. I, I think the NBA would be nicely served by having a coach's challenge um, hmm. for those kinds of situations. I think that would be a nice move uh, going forward, giving a coach one opportunity to challenge a call uh, per game. Um, I think that would be a nice uh, addition, but... Um, but, yeah, I think there's an element to that. When the Rockets couldn't beat the Warriors, um, and you were watching Bogut come out there and set moving screens at the top, it was really frustrating that you didn't. it wasn't getting called, and it was frustrating enough that you couldn't solve their puzzle. I think there is an element of psychology where, you know, if, you, know you try to find edges anywhere you can find them, and if you can start complaining and, and forcing enough pressure on officials that maybe perhaps something can can uh, can go your way, but I think over the course of a season, over the course of a game, there are good calls, there are bad calls that go in your favor, and it's just it's it's part of life. Mm. Some of it isn't fair, but life isn't fair, and you just deal with it and move on. Yep, Craig. Last question for you. You mentioned earlier 
about the one seed, which at this point, it feels almost inevitable. A four-game lead, effectively, when you consider the tiebreaker on the Warriors with 12 to go. We're recording this before the Warriors play the Spurs tonight, but on paper, the Warriors without Steph, Clay, and KD playing at San Antonio feels very probable that you could effectively get a five-game lead in the loss column going into uh, tomorrow night's game in Portland. Just curious when or if you get to the point where the Rockets might take less of a grinding mentality and more of a big-picture rest perspective. Certainly the homestand, you have five games in a row, most other than New Orleans, all against teams that are not especially good. You do have some nagging injuries, most notably Clint Capella and the sprained thumb he's been dealing with for a week. We saw him grabbing that in New Orleans and Minnesota a few times. We also had James bang his hand against Jeff Teague's knee in the fourth quarter last night. Just curious when or if you think the Rockets might say, okay, the one seed is pretty much ours. Is there a point in which you might see them take a little more of a long view and give James Harden, give Clint Capella, give someone with a nagging injury a night off to get right? Or is it still a little bit too early for that now that there's still, what, 12 games left to play? I think it's a tad bit too early. I don't think these guys have been taxed much in terms of their minutes. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people on Twitter have come out and basically disproven the notion that the Rockets are killing themselves trying to get the number one seed when in essence before all those guys from the Warriors went down James Harden and Chris Paul the two guys who you're concerned most with in terms of playing too many minutes Trevor Reese's minutes have been cut down so substantially nobody even really even concerns themselves with that anymore but with those two guys I mean it's, it's already been disproven I mean I mean, Durant and Thompson and those guys in green, well, they yeah. were already playing heavier minutes than the Rockets were. So that, that was, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a misnomer. And I mentioned this when the Rockets were in New Orleans. Um, because of the injuries to the Warriors, because of the uh, essential, you mentioned with the tiebreaker, four-game lead on them, at what point do you start, not the team, but people, observers like us, at what point do you start literally keeping more of an eye on the scoreboard when it comes to the Raptors and it does the Warriors. Mm. So I think there's still an element there. I, I, we're getting close to that point where if, where if you're the Rockets and you're coming through this homestand, as you mentioned, with um, non-playoff teams, teams that are on the race to the bottom of the standings in the West that you feel comfortable that you can beat without having a full complement of guys, I think maybe – in a couple, three games from now, if, if say, again, as you mentioned, Golden State loses tonight, maybe Toronto loses another game, um, you know, here or there, that maybe in the final eight or nine games of the season, then you can start sort of having some strategic rest uh, for some of these players to come down this stretch just to make sure that you have your full health come playoff time because ultimately that's the most important thing. But I don't think they're quite there yet, but they're getting close. Yeah, so maybe another two or three games from now, we'll see what... At some point in the upcoming home state. Yeah, I mean, we'll see uh, what Golden State... Again, if these teams lose another... If Golden State and, and Toronto suffers another loss, you know, here or there, then, you know... I mean, Toronto's fighting with Golden State to have uh, home court advantage against them in a, in a potential final series as well, so they have plenty to play for. So it's not just the Warriors that the Rockets are trying to outpace. It's, it's Toronto as well for the best record of the league, and Toronto's got the tiebreaker on them, so... They do, so they're four games back. They're four games back of the Rockets, but it's the same as the Warriors, who are technically three in the standings, but because the Raptors have a tiebreaker and the Warriors do not, it's the same both ways. But the good news is that, uh, as far as the Rockets are concerned, Toronto lost that game to Oklahoma City yesterday, so that does give you a little bit of breathing room for on Toronto. Although, where, if, you were, uh, although if you were rooting for Oklahoma City to stay in the Warriors half of the bracket, you kind of want Toronto <laughs> to win that game. So, um, yeah. again, Oklahoma City's schedule is just an absolute crazy beast the rest. 
we'll see. Plenty of possibilities. Anyway, Craig, thank you so much for the time. Folks, that's Craig Ackerman at CA underscore Rockets on Twitter. And, of course, you know more from the broadcast. He'll be on the call tomorrow night from Portland on the TV call. Fortunately, not a national exclusive. You guys will have it, uh, what, 9 p.m. pregame and then 9.30 nine tip? Yeah, 9 o'clock uh, pregame start. and uh, 9.30 tip. Uh, shortly after 9.30, it'll, it'll get underway. And, again, this is my favorite place in the league to do games. Um, craziness typically always ensues when the Rockets play the Blazers here in Portland. It did the last time we were up here earlier in the season, the Rockets came from 14 down after three quarters to win. So I'm expecting an atmosphere that's going to be very much playoff-like tomorrow night, much like it was in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's going to be a great game, and I can't wait. Yep, same here. I will definitely be staying up late for it, watching it on, of course, AT&T Southwest and not whatever uh, national channel it is. Craig, thanks so much yeah. for the time, and I'll uh, talk to you, what, I guess uh, Thursday, but we see a lot of each other, because, what, it's a five-game homestand starting Thursday, right? Yep. Okay, yep, cool. Looking forward to it. Appreciate it, man. Thank yep, you I'll see you me. Thursday. Ha- have fun in Portland, and, um, yeah, we'll catch up later this week, okay? Yep, thank you. That's Craig Ackerman, Rockets lead broadcaster for AT&T Sportsnet Southwest on the TV side, especially for the road games, and if they're at home, which means Bill Worrell is on the mic for AT&T Sportsnet Southwest, well, Craig is on the radio call across the Rockets radio network, led by, of course, Sports Talk 790 here in Houston. I know we went a little bit long, but I enjoy getting to pick Craig's brain, especially when the Rockets are on the road for so many games they have been of late. He's one of the only guys that's even with the team as far as the Houston media contention, and beyond just being with them, because he's working with the team, he travels with them on the plane, so he has better insight on these guys than anyone. So I love getting to chat basketball with Ted, especially when the Rockets are on these road trips. Sorry about the uh, slightly long episode today, but hopefully the uh, content was worthwhile. Anyway, I think we've had enough Rockets talk for one day, so I will wrap it there, especially because we're going to have a lot more in the days ahead when the Rockets, of course, big game tomorrow night against the Blazers. We'll have a recap, probably not tomorrow night because it's a late game on the West Coast. My wife might shoot me for that, but I'll do it as early Wednesday as possible. We'll break down whatever happens in that one, and then, of course, we'll get back into a regular routine with all sorts of coverage once the Rockets get back to Houston, where they will play eight of their next nine games over the next two weeks all from the friendly confines of Toyota Center starting Thursday night. So we'll get more content from both myself as anyone else and anyone else on Rockets Media. And, well, hopefully I'll see a few of you guys out at Toyota Center as well. Don't hesitate to say hi. would love to meet some of you guys. Until then, and, well, I guess until tomorrow night's game, do still have the one last road game in Portland. So until that one takes place, I will sign off. As I mentioned, he's Craig Ackerman. Follow him on Twitter at CA underscore Rockets. I'm Ben Dubose. Follow me on Twitter at Ben DuBose, or the show, This Is Locked On Rockets, your home for daily and post-game commentary on the Houston Rockets. Follow us on Twitter, at Locked On Rockets. Also, Facebook.com, slash Locked On Rockets. You can go to LockedOnRockets.com. That's our website. Subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, wherever you want to subscribe to your podcast. Just search for Locked On Rockets. Subscribe to us. Leave us a five-star review. That's how we remain viable to advertisers. Also, if you're interested in inquiring and becoming a sponsor, email LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. That's how... You can get a hold of me. We've got great rates. We've got a booming audience thanks to the Rockets' great play. And you can become a sponsor just as our great friends over at MyBookie were today. Remember, go to MyBookie.ag, use the Lockdown NBA promo code, and from there, MyBookie will match your initial deposit with a 50% bonus. That's our sponsors over at MyBookie. Website is MyBookie.ag. And please support them because subscribing to our feed, leaving us five-star reviews, supporting our sponsors, that's the best way to support what we're doing here at Locked on Rockets and keep us financially viable with what we're doing, which is the only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets, the best team in the NBA. So until tomorrow night's game, I will sign off. 
Hope all of you guys are having a great start to the week, and we'll be talking again very soon, breaking down whatever happens in that big-time Rockets-Blazers game, which tips at 9.30 Houston time. will be available on AT&T Sportsnet Southwest, thankfully, with Craig Ackerman and Matt Bullard on the call. So I'll be watching with you guys on Twitter, and then shortly after it, we'll be breaking it all down right here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.